is a story that I heard. It's actually, well, not, I guess not as much a story as an interview that I heard. And I heard it with Anna Kasparian on the Young Turks, and she had this gentleman on that was talking about why men are, I don't know if it's separating themselves in society or kind of pulling back and saying like, we're not really welcome in this sphere. They don't feel welcome in probably America. And so they're not wanting to get married. They're not wanting to have children. They're not wanting to, I guess, from our perspective, lay lay down their lives for anyone else. But this is the Young Turks talking, right? So she, Anna Kasparin's interviewing him saying like, what, why is it that men are like walking away and not seeing themselves as like an integral part of society? And it was quite humorous because he said that he thinks men are walking away from society and pulling back because they don't have space to share their feelings. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have space to... Jenk said that? No, it wasn't Jenk. She was interviewing somebody. I don't don't know who the guy is. Anna? Oh, the person. Yeah, Anna's interviewing him. And I mean, ostensibly, she's like tracking along like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I hear that. But it was, it was. I think the conversation kind of centered around how do we bring men back in as part of the picture, like part of the mechanics of society. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, you kicked them out. Why? What? What do you mean? Like the whole the the progressive movement has not just. Is, is not purely like egalitarian where it thinks men and women are equal. It like spits on the cis, hetero, white male. So why would they want to be a part of your society? But it was, it was just really funny when I heard him say that because it was the most absurd hypothesis I've ever heard. It's like, you have to be so unaware of human anthropology and specifically how men work to think the reason why men are not engaging is because they don't have a therapist or because they don't have someone to open up to or because their feelings aren't heard. I'm like, have you met a man I remember talking to one of my best friends about this? She might still think this, but I think she's probably like gone away from it. But before either of us got married, she and I were talking about how we really wished like the guys that we were dating or the guy that we were going to marry at the time she was dating a guy that she was, she was eventually going to marry. Like if they would just like open up a little bit more to us, like tell us really how they feel, you know, what, what are you actually feeling? Like who are the, like what type of friend do you want to have? Like, who do you like? Who do you like to hang out with? Like what drives you? You know, we had this perception that men were just, they just didn't break out of their shell enough. Like women were needed to kind of like break that edifice apart, which is basically in a sense what this guy is saying about men to Anna Kasparian that they're like effective women. Yeah. They're defective women. They're women that had just not have, haven't broken out of, you know, this, this toxic masculinity. But it's funny because I remember talking to this is just a classic moment. One of the first times I was like, what, what are you what are you thinking like right now? You know, you're staring off into the distance, kind of look like you're pondering life. I'm like, what? So what's on your mind? And you said, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing. I'm not thinking thinking about one thing. And it dawned on me 
I, I shouldn't say it dawned on me, it, little by little, like light was shed on the fact that, oh, men and women are different and I don't have to make Phil like me and I don't have to make him see things the way I see them and I don't have to help him break out of his shell, you know, and what drives a man isn't what drives a woman. And so I'm watching this interview of people that have, you know, raw information. I, and beyond that, they have a successful news network, you know, that is a progressive news network, but they have, they're, they're successive, successful business people. People like to watch them on YouTube and they have no idea what men are and what drive them and what the, and I don't know if this man who's speaking, like if he feels like that, that he is, people just haven't heard him enough or if he's bought into that, but like the man, the way that God made them, the, it, the reason they're not connecting with society is not because their feelings aren't being met. What are your thoughts? Did the, did that guy seem effeminate? Yeah. I mean, he definitely wasn't this like Montana hunter that came <laughs> after he killed a moose and came on the show, you know, he was probably like from a big city. He looked kind of, he, he wasn't, he wasn't like, also he wasn't the type of man that a girl would look at and be like, like a city slicker that you're like attracted to. It was kind of like a guy you would overlook in class type thing. Like, you know, he's a guy, he's not obviously gay, but he's not like someone you'd really be attracted to, if that makes sense. So I don't know, maybe it's trying to like compensate for that. Yeah. I mean, there's a, so first of all, there, there's a name for this. Mig, it's MGTOW, an acronym, men oh. going their own way. Oh yeah. That must've been what they're talking about. Um, yeah. So there's a like Reddit forum about it. Men are posting stories and about how society has victimized them as in their maleness or manhood or whatever. And they're withdrawing from that to just do their own thing. And oftentimes their own thing is a pursuit of money, sex, or power mm -hmm. or a combination of the three. Uh, the, a podcast that I was listening to today is the most recent episode of the Kings Hall podcast. They've been talking this season, they're talking about, father hunger mm -hmm. and they had mentioned um, one of the one of the hosts Brian was at a conference oh that's weird somebody from California is calling me <laughs> um, excuse me they're trying to get you to go back <laughs> yeah maybe so they were at a conference a male like red pill MGTOW kind of conference. I have a question for you after that, but go ahead. And Wait, who was there? It was Brian Sove. He was there. He it was, was like a secular... He was speaking. Oh, okay. Was, yeah, so in saying... Why was it hey, a MGTOW conference? It was a it was a men's sort of like manosphere, red pill men. Hey, we see what's going on. We're going to embrace like true masculinity. Oh, okay. And it's, it's, they're Not going their of, own way. Of, no, I mean, it's men doing what... They want to do not what society wants them to do. Oh, okay. Which is to be more effeminate. Mm -hmm. And so what he said, he was, I think he said he was at a panel and there was a man who was speaking who was successful at having sex with lots of women. He's like, you can have, fulfill all of your sexual fantasies with a, all the women that you can sleep with and have all the, you know, the money and the success in your career. And ultimately, 
uh, he said it's hell, like I'm in hell in this. And maybe what these Christian people are saying about hmm. about Jesus or the the Christian way of life, like maybe there's something to it. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, the the scripture begins with maleness and femaleness. With mm-hmm. both are made in the image of God, but they're different. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's foundational. And as we strip that out of society, we will see decay and degradation. Yeah. Are there any other stories that you heard this week that you think are worth mentioning that you wanted to comment on? Besides, obviously, Pelosi Gate, <laughs> Paul Pelosi, <laughs> that yeah, interesting that video. <laughs> it was very odd. Uh, nothing that comes to mind right away. Okay, then I have one, one other thing before we get into the main well, topic. What were you going to ask me? About what? Oh, I want to know what white pill is. I've heard the term white pill. Like, I know what red pill is, but what's white pill? So black pill is having a hopeless outlook. White pill is having a positive outlook. Oh, okay. Red pill is seeing the world, seeing through the matrix to yeah. see what's really going on. And blue pill is... You're in the matrix um, and don't Yeah, know I'd what. rather stay in the matrix. I don't want to know what's going on. I'm just going to peacefully live my life. Okay. Yeah, that answers I, that. I assume there's a green pill and a yellow pill. and That will at least come up at some point. Yeah, you have to use all the colors. So I was I kind of pitched this idea to you a little bit, but I... Probably in the last few years, I had come to the realization that just, this is going to sound silly to a lot of people, but come to the realization that just because you're a Christian does not mean that you know more than other people, which is kind of, it's really humbling and it makes you rely on God that much more when you, when you think, oh, there's a lot of people that are way smarter than me and are atheists and don't believe in God. But I believe, like basically a lot of my faith was found in how much I knew and not in who God was. So I realized, oh, you know what? There's going to be a lot of people that are way more successful, make a whole lot more money, are more, I guess, in the ways of the world, more wise. And how do I reconcile that? I was kind of trying to figure out that. Well, there's nothing really to reconcile. I mean, the Bible doesn't... doesn't um, doesn't allege that if you know God that you're going to ha- know more information, obviously. But I then tried to, it's kind of human nature to categorize things and people, right? To, to make sense of the way of the way the world is. We do this in chemistry all the time. We start off with what matter is and we break it down into pure substances and mixtures. And then what are pure substances broken down to elements and compounds? You know, it's not that God made those categories per se, but it's a way to understand how he made the world and put them into categories so that they are digestible to us. Um, but there's obviously overlap between a lot of categories. Anyway, with that, I tried to kind of categorize, like, how do I understand that, you know, person A, let's say I have a friend who knows a ton, like they have a lot of raw knowledge, but their I, the, how, with how they use that knowledge is like absurd to me. How, why would you take that knowledge that you have, like you read this paper, let's say, let's say it's a paper from a high impact journal. It is been, has been peer reviewed by people that we esteem that, you know, we would trust and they come away with it and they have these like, like ridiculous conclusions. I'm like, how do I understand someone like that? That has like raw knowledge can get, can like read like a maniac, but they have like no logic. Okay. Well, there are people 
that can have the raw materials and don't know what to do with them, right? You can get all the raw materials, you can um, mine the earth for everything, but that doesn't mean you're actually going to be a metallurgist and pull out what is valuable and make it into something that's useful. Okay, so then I understood, I finally understood, okay, there's, there are people that have a lot of knowledge, they might be really educated, right, educated, and uh, um, secondary and higher, higher education might have a PhD, they know a lot of stuff maybe about chemistry, you know, I was with people like that in grad school, but then they cannot apply that to any other scenario in life at all, okay, so those are the people I thought, okay, they have raw knowledge, um, and actually, I skipped a uh, category of person. There's also the category of person that doesn't have any raw knowledge at all. So those are the people that you like end up seeing on these interviews that make everyone look dumb about politics where they say, wasn't it great when Barack Obama gave um, COVID money, COVID relief money? And they're like, yeah, that's why I love Barack Obama. And it's like, it was actually Donald Trump. Oh, you know, those people are the ones without, you know, really any raw knowledge. And then the second category of people is they have raw knowledge, but they don't know how to use it. And then there's a third category of people that have raw knowledge and like wits, or I guess you would say they abide by the laws of logic. So they can take that raw knowledge and then they apply it appropriately. Um, This would be someone who might have a pantry, like a kitchen pantry. And the person with the raw knowledge just has all the raw ingredients right? All, all the raw materials that you might need for a kitchen. But the person that has logic knows how to assemble that and put them in a place that, okay, I should have the sugar. Uh, I shouldn't have the sugar, let's say, in a glass container at the top, because if I pull it down, it can fall on my head and break. You know, they're, they're applying their raw knowledge to be logical. And then there's the person that has raw knowledge, knows how to apply it, but it's also wise. And we know that the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what distinguishes a Christian who should have raw knowledge, know how to use it, and wise from the people that have raw knowledge and they have logic? And to kind of get a picture of how I, how I see this played out, someone like we've, we've mentioned before, Tim Pool and his group of people on their podcast who we really like to listen to, I, so often I'll see them talking about, you know, the information they have, then they'll apply it logically. And then they totally miss that in their pursuit to establish what is right and wrong, they are asserting that there is an objective right and wrong, although they deny a creator or someone that has established what is right and wrong. So in effect, they end up being, you could either say they end up being their own God, like, they, they work as their own God, or they're submitting to this ideal or this um, objective that's somewhere like in the ether that no one's really governing. You know, it's just like there that they're saying this is right and this is wrong, but they're not, they're not giving a defense for how they arrive at that conclusion at all. So those would, again, would be the, that third category of people that have raw knowledge, know how to use, use the knowledge and make it into something that's, that's valuable but don't understand the world correctly, don't understand human nature, don't understand who God is or who the created beings are. So I realized like, oh, I could, I could still be a person. Christians should still be people that have, you know, basic knowledge, know how to use it, 
and then are wise because they fear the Lord and they, and they know God and God shows us the way the world works, the way humans work, what the problem is in the world, what sin is, um, that the, to, to eradicate or to kind of the, the, the medicine to all of the evils in the world isn't like social policy changes or like, like we're not to legislate, like legislating things isn't going to, um, cause all of these issues to go away. We see that the problem is sin. Sin needs to be addressed, called out, repented of, and you need to trust in Christ. And that actually is what saves people and saves us from from the effects of sin. Like, not just from death, which is great, but also from the effects of sin. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I know it was a lot, but does that kind of make sense? Yes. Okay. So in that, um, we're... I, we'll probably apply a little bit of that, but the main topic uh, that we're going to talk about is education. And we've been excited to talk about education for a long time for many reasons, probably because our perspectives on ed- on how to educate children as a Christian, as Christian parents, has really shifted in the last three years, say probably two, two, three years. Yeah, maybe two years. Yeah, even le- yeah probably even less than that. So a little background on us, so people that people know, I'll say me, and then you can give your background. I was, I went through, I went to public school, K through 12, and probably the main reason I think that my parents would give that we went to public school was so that we could be lights to people and have friends over and they experience God's love, um, in our home. My home was very open to people. My parents always would, would, you basically did not have to ask my mom or dad if anyone could come over. They absolutely could come over. We were people's home. Those that had some bad family situations. Some people lived with us for short stints of time or some longer stints of time. And so my parents really put that into practice where they had people over and it was open to them and we loved them and our food was open to them. That was great. And we didn't really, education wasn't actually super stressed in um, my household. It was like C's get degrees type thing. And as long as you're not failing the class, like we're not really going to like check in and micromanage, which there was definitely some benefits to that because I was... I checked myself, you know, my, my siblings che- checked themselves too. Like they kind of had this built in, I guess, regular regulator, self-regulator to know when to work and when not to work in a way. And so then I ended up going to community college and then university and grad school all at public institutions. So that's my background. What is yours? I went to a private Christian school. Small, pretty small school for K through fifth grade. And then in middle school and high school was in public schools. Um, They were both charter type schools. So middle school was a science and math focused middle school. Um, A lot of Christians in the administration and Christian teachers and some that my mom developed relationships with. And then less, less so Christian teachers in high school, but um, a really high-quality public education when compared to a lot of other public high schools. The school I went to was 
a top-ranked school, and part of that was there was a admissions exam to get into this program at the high school, and it was a it was a school within a school, so there were maybe I don't know I can't even remember. Maybe there was maybe like sixty or so students, seventy students somewhere in that range. Yeah, not many in that program, and the the school was you know a few hundred students. By the time we graduated, we're in the, the graduating class. And then I went to the University of Florida for a bachelor's degree, and I do not have a post-baccalaureate degree. Shame. Yeah, so you are <laughs> more educated than I am. I am. Mm-hmm. Always will be, probably. Probably, yeah. I don't really see the reason with or... my career trajectory okay. and desires to pursue a credentialed higher education, I yeah. can get education elsewhere yep. without that. So, yeah. And then as far as reasoning, I, this would be interesting uh, my, to talk to my mom about some of the reasons why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect that the, the I, I think the elementary school that we were zoned for wasn't very good and so the fact that this was a christian education for elementary school combined with it being a really solid academic base was more a more traditional style of education with learning to read and phonics and things like that and that Mm -hmm. was in the in the mid 90s that was already i think starting to fall out in public schools what phonics yeah Uh, okay and and really... Why did that fall out? I mean, do you have any idea why that fell out? The, I think academia, in in terms of pedagogy, they're always trying to find something new and better. Mm-hmm. And the, ex, the experiment really is putting it into practice in yeah, what is large... Shame, shame. shame. <laughs> yeah, so that, like literally they're, they, they run... I'm sure they run like controlled studies and try to... Are you sure? The, really? Well, no. Well, I'm not necessarily <laughs> sure. I would, Ideally, there would be. I would hope studies. that yeah. before these theories are implemented broad scale across the country in public school systems, that there's data driven results on a small scale. But still, you have to experiment on kids, and there's ample evidence for phonics as a really good way to learn to read. Right. Hooked on phonics. And. That I mean, I literally I'm starting to hear advertisements for Hooked on Phonics again, again, <laughs> because so many children have struggled to learn how to read properly through a remote education during yeah. COVID school lockdowns, and so and whatever phonics is contrasted with whole reading, is that right? Yeah, like whole words in sight. I, I don't, yeah, don't exactly understand that, but um, you're I, I think you're sounding out the words and then hooking the sounds up to the language that you've already acquired as a child mm. versus learning how to read whole words from the get-go, I guess, is the this other method. Whole reading, you mean? Is that what, that, is that what it is? That's I've read a, a little bit about whole reading. I, I did phonics, so I, I don't yeah. really even know what whole reading is. But And then the, the elementary school, like many private Christian schools, has a robust early education, you know, elementary school program. And as the education gets a little bit more specialized, 
in junior high and high school when there starts to be labs and you're breaking out not just a generic history, but maybe an AP class or things like that, it becomes a little bit harder monetarily for schools to fund, for private schools to get excellent teachers and fund that. And so it went from in elementary school there, I think there was usually two classes. So you'd have probably have somewhere around 50 to 55 children Mm -hmm. in a, in a grade year to in junior high, you know, maybe it was like, well, anyway, 30, go on. yeah, 30. And then by the time they were graduating, there was graduating classes of like five, 10 students from this high okay. school. And so that was part of why my parents wanted the education at this magnet charter school was mm-hmm. because it was, they knew something about the principal mm-hmm. and about some of the other administrators and teachers. They knew it was like a very Christian influenced school. Yeah. Even though it was public, it had good academics and it was, it ended up being like convenient with where my dad worked, worked. And, and stuff. So, right. So when we first got married and we knew that we, we knew before we got married that we wanted kids, what was your thought about where our kids would go to school? I figured they'd go to public school. Yeah, I did yeah. too. Did you think much about it or is it just kind of a default? No, I feel like I got a really good education to learn facts and science and how to write an essay and things like that in the government schools. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of assumed that as long as you're in the right neighborhood and you're, you're sort of involved as a Christian parent, um, that it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Right. How could it hurt them? You know? Yeah. I thought, I thought the same thing. I think part of my, and it's free, (laughs) but not, but it yeah, is. They're yeah, exactly. <laughs> gonna pay for it anyway. Uh, I think I assumed that they'd go to public school, and one of the reasons was because I wanted my kids to be light, salt and light to children that did not know or have any exposure to Christ. And I wanted to. I, I also my family has an aversion to pretentiousness. It, pretense. Pretense. I was saying, is that the word? I don't know. People being pretentious, like an automatic aversion to it. Anytime that my parents could get like a nice car, my mom would always say, oh, no, 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 no. I can't have people seeing me drive that car. They're going to think that I'm like snooty or stuck up. Sorry, mom, if I'm putting words in your mouth. But it was something like that. Like we didn't want to show off anything, especially because I was zoned for a pretty, almost all the schools I went to were pretty poor. We lived on the side of town that just, it, it wasn't as nice of a side of a side of town. We lived in a nice area because we were down in kind of more rural area, but my parents didn't want to shift us away from that because, and, and one of the arguments for this was we had all these, we had acquaintances that lived on the nice side of town and the friends would kind of tease us for going to the bad schools. And then during like spring break, they'd go on a missions trip to Mexico and then for a week and then come back and would be like, Oh, I went on a missions trip. That was so great. I served and I painted houses and all that. And my parents would say, we live in that culture. Like you go to school in that culture. And it was true that my schools were 70 plus percent Hispanic and not, Oh, I'm descended from people that 
three generations ago came from maybe Mexico. It was no, my, like, we're not here maybe legally and I'm just learning how to speak English. You know, a lot of, not everyone, obviously, but there was a large population of that. So they said, why are we going to go on a missions trip for a week when we could live amongst and befriend people and become like them? I mean, become like them in the sense of like, we're not, we're not higher than them. So, I had that initial reaction to the idea of private school was like, why would I spend that much money? Like that is just showing off. And I knew so many people who went to private school and they just, when they got off, like when they got out of school, instead of drinking like pop of, um, uh, vodka, vodka, they drink, what's a nice vodka? I don't know. A nicer vodka. <laughs> like they were still getting drunk and going to parties and doing all the same stuff, but they just did it in a classier fashion. <laughs> so it was like, why would we go to private? Now that wasn't everybody, but why would why would we spend all the money to do that? So what was what was the turn? And like, when did we start kind of thinking more about education? Was it really? I mean, it was probably around 2020. All of our stories took back to something in 2020 or 2021. I think it goes, it's before 2020 because it it starts with what's going on in the schools in terms of radical Marxist ideology. And what's, you were aware of that. You were. I think I was before 2020. 2020. Okay. I think it was before 2020 that I started becoming aware. I think I had heard the term critical race theory before 2020. Oh, that's right. That and was so it, that's obviously a really, it was, it was, the focus was mostly on, I think, higher education, but it was obvious really quickly as, as I started to listen to what people were saying about what's going on is that the, that theory was in, in praxis of the theory, you know, putting it into practice yeah, was embedded into K through 12 education as well. And that it wasn't, it certainly isn't limited to government schools and private schools as well. And so that got me thinking, Oh, maybe the, and it, well, and, and it's subtle, right? There are lots of, there are lots of philosophies, whether it be, a critical race theory type thing or a secular humanist philosophy or the, um, you know, Darwinianism doesn't just come up when they talk about natural selection in biology class. It informs a lot more than that. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess the probably nascent, nascent thoughts not fully formed were there's a, there's just a lot of worldview stuff that's going on that if our kids are going to be in government schools that we're going to have to really battle. Mm -hmm. And then in 2020, 2021 getting connected and with some of the content from Canon press and Doug Wilson's church in Moscow, Christ Christ church and other people like that. And, and finding out what classical Christian education is and thinking, Oh wow, that's, that's different than, what they're going to get at even a normal private school, a normal Christian private school. Yeah. And thinking, I think I want something like that for our kids. Yeah. And I think something that resonated with me about that is the fact that they acknowledge that most private schools are public schools with chapel. 
And it was like, yeah, yeah that is and true. A, and maybe a Bible memory verse yeah. every week or something. Right. And this is where I want to get into first, like, tell us what is the responsibility of parents from Scripture in educating? She you want me to read the beginning yeah. of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy. Uh-huh. Okay. Please. Deuteronomy 6. Se- uh, oh, okay. Yeah. 6, though, 7. Yeah. So I'll read Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. Now, this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God commands in Deuteronomy, particularly uh, um, the parents, and particularly fathers, your son, your son's son, to to teach them to to know and obey and love God's law. In everything they do, when they rise up, when yeah. they sit down, and like They're basically what does that mean? about it all the time. Yeah, okay. So it's a constant thing. Yeah. It's not like... A devotion at night. Uh-huh. It's not going to the tabernacle to be taught by the Levites, by Aaron's descendants. Gotcha. About what you're supposed to do with God. It's every father, and there's a promise that goes along with it that your days may be long in the land if you obey. Right, okay. So then... Um, sorry, it's that as Ephesians five ends and goes into six, um, six, one children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Oh, wow. It's a connection. (laughs) Fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the the idea of paideia is it, it's enculturation. So it's initiating and, and welcoming and forming young people into the way of life of a certain group, a certain culture. Okay. And so number one, that means that there has to be a distinctly Christian culture to bring children into. And number two, it's the responsibility of fathers to be the leaders in the household and within the, the sphere of the family. They, they have primary responsibility to bring their kids into that culture, to raise them, to make that the flavor of the home and to, to not forsake that responsibility or outsource it to others to the degree that they're not involved in it you know there might be seasons where a father is 
away for for work or for war or something like that, or where the the father is incapable of doing that enculturation at a certain level. You know, there, there's always exceptions, but the rule is the principle is that it's fathers who are doing that. Let me read the the Strong's definition of those Greek words. The first one you said is nuthesia. The words that it gives, admonition, exhortation. Strong's definition is calling attention to, by implication, mild rebuke or warning, admonition. So what is the word that is in the ESV? The discipline. discipline. Okay. And then for the word paideia. It's instruction of the Lord. It says... Uh, the K- KJV translates this word in the following manner as chastening, nurture, instruction, and chastisement. And it gives a biblical usage, outline of biblical usage. It's used as the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body. Instruction, which aims at increasing virtue, chastisement, chastening, etc. So how I heard it also was enculturation, like mm-hmm. teaching them the culture. So bringing that up to know, I mean, you're you're essentially establishing what is the what is the way we do things. Yeah. Who are we? What are we? What do we do? And, and make no mistake, like everybody has a culture. Yes, correct. Right? You, it's easy to see that other people have a culture when it's different from your own, but you sort of see the way you do life as the default, the normal, but it it is a culture. Everybody has a culture. And so us having lived overseas, we we have maybe have experienced that living in a cross-cultural setting more so than other people. But um, there should be a distinctly, like a, a Christian, Christian culture, yeah, a Christian culture, and yeah. it shouldn't just be everything else that the culture around you is, but with some Bible verses, right? And going to church on Sunday tacked onto it, right? It, it, there has to be more, and there is, yeah, more. right. So, um, something else that we're kind of trying to establish some some foundation. You know, where do we go from? What does the Bible say? Uh, what is the command that we're to do? What are we implored to do as Christians? What are we really mandated to do as parents? And specifically, you said fathers, right, have mm-hmm. the the direct command to instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. So the other thing that stands out to me that got me thinking in the last couple of years was I was listening to, who was I listening to? What is his name? I like him. He is the guy, in a, I mean, they have him on Apologia. It's the free Bonson, <laughs> Greg Bonson. Greg Bonson. Yes. He, I know that a lot of people know him more as the theonomy guy, but I listened to him in regards to evangel. Uh, Presupposition, yeah, presuppositionalism, apologetics, and education. And he had talked about how, number one, the myth of neutrality, that this idea is that there are neutral ideas or neutral, like knowledge is neutral, and he he says nothing is neutral. There's not one thing in this world that isn't owned by God, and there's not one idea that is neutral and does not matter one way or the other. 
And I think when we talk about something, how that connects to public education, is a lot of people see it as neutral education. When they think of the word public education, they, they think neutral education. So when I send my kids to public, a public school, what they're getting is the raw facts, right? They're just, they're just dispensing knowledge to this individual. So in, in believing that, do I want to go to this now? Yeah. In believing that, you're ignoring two things. One, that there's a culture. There's a culture everywhere, like you said. There's a culture in your home. There's a culture in your neighbor's home. There's a culture in your neighborhood. There's a culture in your city. There's a culture in your country. There's all these different cultures that are, that are in movement around you, and they hold a certain central tenets. They hold things to be true. They hold things to be more worthy, less worthy, mm-hmm. important, not important, uh, something that deserves discipline, something that doesn't, um, how you treat boys and girls different or the same. Who gets? Do we raise our hands in the classroom? Do we um, get discipline when we speak out of turn? Do our, What are naughty words? What are bad words? What are good words? Who's, what, should you be nice? Should you be mean? Like all of these things are part of your culture. And um, the idea was that I had kind of adopted was that when you send your kid to public school, you're sending them to just get neutral information from a teacher. They're learning math facts, they're learning how to read, they're learning history. Let me, let's just start with something like history, though. There is absolutely no way that you can teach history. I mean, that's probably the most obvious one, but there's no way you can teach history from a neutral perspective because everyone has a perspective on that. And there are different... You could even have... There could be, You and I could be having a conversation where we completely agree on everything, and someone asks us, what did you guys talk about? And you're going to tell them something different than I'm going to tell them. And it doesn't even mean that we are opposing each other, right? But we are still coming from a perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're teaching history, that, that I think that's even more elevated because you're teaching what was right and what was wrong and what happened, right? So there's no way that you can teach anything that happened in history from a neutral perspective, especially as a Christian when you understand that God drives the narrative, Right. He is the one writing the story. And so if you're not looking from the author's perspective, then you're missing it. You're missing the story. Um, additionally, though, people might say, OK, I get history. Like we can't teach history from a neutral perspective, but you can teach math from a neutral perspective. And again, I say, no, you can't teach math from a neutral perspective because it's still connected to central axioms. It's connected to certain truths. That's why you have people who are progressive or who are woke, whatever you want to call it. I guess, postmodern people that would say that how do we really know one plus one equals two? How do we really know two plus two equals four? How do we know these things? We know as Christians because we are bound by the laws of logic, which God set in this world, and those have remained unchanged, and we have to abide by them. In the same way that I can't jump up and stay up because I don't like the law of gravity, um, I know that if I put two items and two items together, I will have four items because I can't break that law. But if you aren't bound to the laws of logic in the way that God has established them, then you can and you will deviate. But to add to that, Jesus says, let me get this reference, to love the Lord your God with what? What does he say? Your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me get the reference. Okay, so Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
dissimilar to your De- the Deuteronomy passage that you had read. And when I heard Greg Bonson talk about this, he said, you know, church does a good job at teaching people how to love the Lord with all their heart. You know, what does that mean? How to love the Lord, your God, with all your, what was the next one? Heart, strength, heart, soul, soul. soul. Yeah. Talk about soul. And then the third one, love the Lord, with your God, with all your mind. Okay. So you're a little tiny baby. What your parents say, what people around you are saying in the womb, what people say is starting to connect and to build your brain in such a way that it's going to affect how you think in 50 years. What people say around you, what people say to you, what you overhear, the tone in people's voice, if they're yelling, if they're talking soft and calm, how they see people interact with each other, if people are present, looking them in the eye, if they're not, that is all creating something. It's teaching you something, right? It's teaching that child something. So if I want to take my five-year-old and I want to be faithful to this, and I want to teach him how to love the Lord with his mind, how is he going to know how to love the Lord in history, in math, in phonics, in reading, in spelling, in handwriting? If he's going to a place, to a culture, that precludes anyone that's in authority from saying Jesus is Lord or acknowledging that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You are sending your kid to a place that bars the authority figures from saying that. They say, well, the kids can say it. Let me push back on that. Those who teach you, disciple you. And that's not just your teacher, right? That's the administration. That's your principal. Those are the, those are the people that are um, cleaning your bathrooms. Those are the people on recess duty, on lunch duty. When you put someone in authority over you, what they're doing is they're stamping on your child who they should be. What they say in the classroom, if they tell them, okay, I don't know if this is a thing anymore, but write your name on the board. You remember that? Or I'm going to write your name on the board. It's like you're in trouble. I I had to pull my card one time and I cried immediately. I never did it again because I was so devastated. But anyway, what they establish as like your classroom norms, that is a moral judgment, that's right? That's a, that's a moral stance. That's a standard that you're putting, that you're teaching your kid, abide by that, that's your authority figure, and they're going to tell you what's right and wrong, right? They are absorbing and soaking in everything from their school. And the main thing that I hear as a rebuttal to this, the main, okay, right? I, I kind of put real, a... Real quick before okay. we do that. So it's not just that the they're precluded from saying that Jesus is Lord and oh yeah good it it's that they're purporting to provide real education and being able to take that knowledge and then apply it and saying not only are we not going to take a stance but it actually we can do all this without taking a stance Mm. which sort of in itself is taking a stance yeah um but like you know it goes back to what you said with the myth of neutrality, mm-hmm. you can't not take a stance. Right. And so they're, the children are implicitly learning that they're hearing in, in church and Sunday school and in family worship or devotions or their own personal time reading the reading God's word that Jesus is Lord. And then for six, seven hours a day, five days a week, for 
18, no, no, sorry, not 18 years, for 13 years, Mm -hmm. uh, they are being educated in an environment where they say this doesn't matter. Right. I can learn the things without God. The guy said it's 16,000 hours. Is that what he said? I think he said 16,000. Yeah. There was a a speaker at our our school, um, headmaster of a classical Christian school, and I think he said there's 16,000 hours that is a typical K through 12 so many hours mm-hmm. were in, in the classroom and contrast that with how many hours you have at, you have at like Sunday them. school oh, yeah. or like <laughs> Sunday school, church, a midweek worship, you know, maybe like a, a camp or a retreat or something like that. Um, how many hours of instruction or how many, how many years does it take to get 16,000 hours of instruction mm-hmm. with your children your child parishioners. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing too, I think that we're ignoring is that those 16,000 hours, like that time of their life, we know this, between the ages of zero and three, you're literally setting the foundation for your child mm-hmm. forever, forever. And then three to five, their brain's totally different than it's going to be at six to eight. It's going to be from nine to 12. So we can't just say, and, and this isn't this isn't me trying to heap on guilt on on people, but we can't just say like I can substitute that at another time because it's timely when they're little, mm-hmm. when they're young, when they are when their brain is forming the way the world works, they're understanding the way the world world works. So to your point, we can send them to Sunday school, we can send them to youth group, we can send them to all these things, and we say this is the most important thing in your life. And then the bulk of their time, they're being told, but you can learn everything without it. You can know everything you need to know to be a successful adult, to get your, get a, uh, a degree, get a job without that. Like we don't actually have to apply that in any way to still be successful or to still be where we want to be. So do you have anything you want to say? Cause I'm about to go on another point. Nothing else right now. So I want to talk about the main arguments that we get or that I've seen. I haven't really played my cards until now to people because I was waiting for to well, no, to think a, properly about it. Take a step back to and say it's a sensitive issue because yes, the decision like we talked about or like the, the Deuteronomy and Ephesians says it's the responsibility of fathers of parents mm-hmm. of well, I shouldn't even say parents, of mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. Children deserve a mother and a father. Mm -hmm. Mothers and fathers to decide how to educate their kids. And so with that authority also comes responsibility and accountability Mm -hmm. to do it the right way, the the best way, uh, in in accordance with the knowledge they have at that time. But there's a... Maybe I didn't phrase that correctly... Um, there's, I think there's a sense in which you have accountability to the knowledge that you have at the time, but there's also a sense in which you're accountable to the, like the real standard. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, you can't plead to the officer. Well, I didn't know I was speeding. I didn't know the speed limit changed. Well, it's like, you should have known Mm -hmm. because that's the, that's the rules of driving that you should always know where you're at, what the speed limit is. So, in some instances with the law, you may get you you may get a little bit of understanding from the judge in terms of your responsibility without knowing, 
there are, are things built into our laws for that. You know, there's a difference between murder, premed- premeditated murder, and manslaughter. Um, you know, there's there's an intent thing there. But the bottom line is, for parents, you do have, for mothers and fathers, you have responsibility to make decisions about your children's education. So you have real authority that's been given to you by God, and you will have to give an account for what you do. And so you can't do what the track that we were on, where you just default to doing what everyone else around you in the right. culture does without a plan, without thinking about it, because... This, that's not the way that God calls us to live any area of our life. Yeah. And especially not with the most precious thing that he's entrusted to us as mothers and fathers, little, little image bearers of God that have half of our, half of my DNA and half of Danae's DNA that are eternal souls and how they are formed when they're small, as we disciple them, as we talk in, in our houses and on the way and um, when we get in the car and get out of the car yeah, when we get in the car <laughs> and it, exactly when we lay down at night when we talk about these things we disciple them like this is it this is this is our our responsibility yeah and so what so when we are talking about this we're trying we're not trying to make people feel guilty right. or tell or boss people around and say, this is what you have to do. This is the only way. Right. But we're trying to lay out the framework for how we understood it. And, and really, I think a, a lot of other people who haven't been forced to, to think deeply on these things or in, you know, maybe in many areas of their life, they're fighting against the culture uh, and trying to, you know, really live for Christ. But for whatever reason, this this was just a default position that they were never questioned on. Nobody pushed them to think about it. Like I I think that a lot of people will come to see and agree with us that at a bare minimum they don't want their kids in public education. Okay, so one of the main arguments that I have made and in that other people seem to make is that we want to be lights to people that don't know Christ. So we send our kids out so we can have connection with people that don't know the Lord so we can evangelize a couple of things. So just imagine being a Jew that just came out of Egypt and we're like, we really, we would like to reach them. So we're going to, we won't go, we'll go ahead and just send our kids to their schools and let them teach them like how to learn and the basics of everything so that we could reach them so that they could love Yahweh. Now, I know that's kind of an extreme example. Like, obviously, they're not going to go back into Egypt. But can you make, can you kind of conceptualize how strange it is as a Christian to say, I'm going to take my child and I'm going to use them in a pagan, like in a pagan system, a system that hates God, right? The system does. I'm not saying all the teachers do. There's wonderful teachers Mm -hmm. that love the Lord. And I love that we have Christian teachers in the public school system. I think I do. I think that makes sense. It's like, yeah, I would like them to have an impression on the children. But can, again, think for a moment, I'm going to take my kid and I'm going to have them submit to the pagan system to learn how to think about everything mm-hmm. except church stuff. Learn how, they should learn how to think about everything about math, about reading, about how to understand what's right, what's wrong. And 
because I want to reach those that aren't reached. Okay. That doesn't seem to match with any understanding of how to educate your kids in the scriptures, number one. But number two, you never see this example of sending kids to be those that are missionaries. Like I'm going to send my child to be a missionary. Number one, you don't see that happen. But number two, you definitely don't see it through making them submit to those who hate God in order to be a missionary. So we know Vody Bauckham's um, slogan, or I don't know, saying, his phrase, his quote, in which he said, if you send your, your kids to be educated by Caesar, don't be surprised when they come back act, acting like Romans. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, again, those who teach your kids, disciple your kids. So that was, that's really the first argument that I get is, how, how are we going to reach them? Well, actually, your first priority isn't to reach people with your kids or even to reach people. Your first priority is to raise them in the nurture and admonition. To your own family. Yeah, it's to your own family to raise them. They aren't ready, right? I can see the argument where you've maybe homeschooled your kid or something, and they're, you know, it's a young man who's 14, and he's like, he's ready to like yeah. go out, and he's ready to win people he's for an, Christ. He's an arrow in your quiver. He's an arrow. He's sharp. Right. Your five-year-old is not an arrow in your quiver. You are molding him into an arrow in your quiver. So he's not ready for that battle. He, he doesn't have the armor necessary in order to fight that. He, he hasn't learned what the, the logic, these, these um, fallacious attacks on the Christian faith, on Christianity. He doesn't know what to do with them. So we think that we're going to send them out and win people when they're being assaulted by the enemy. Now, I, then you'll hear people say, I went to public school. I turned out okay. I was fine. That is what? What do I say that is? That is a testimony to the mercy of God. That's not a witness or evidence that it was a good choice. We never use that the out. We would never say, "Look, this child was born out of you know out of rape. Rape must have been a great thing." <laughs> you know, we would never say that. We'd say, "We love the child. That's a mercy. That's a grace from God. The rape was bad." Mm-hmm. Okay, so we can't use the outcome of God's mercy to justify our actions. You know, in retrospect. Okay, what are some other kind of arguments that you've heard? Um, I want to go back not to arguments for public school but for um another another sort of a twist on argument against so you had talked about the idea of you have your christian education in the home and the church and then this sort of neutral education Mm -hmm. and what that's doing is it's teaching children just that separation is teaching them that there's a division between the secular and the sacred. Oh, yep. That Christ domain is the spiritual stuff, but the like educational stuff, the science stuff, the history stuff, the literature stuff, like that's not really Christ domain because we don't talk about Christ in relation to it in these sixteen thousand hours that I'm spending in school. And so it's not a, it's not an explicit lesson, but it is something that children will implicitly understand. And then this, the church is doing the same thing with regards to to health in the body, yeah. the physical body. So we honor God with all of our strength, with our with our physical bodies, with our health, and we have a a big focus on the spiritual aspects of Christianity on 
uh, you know, an emotional, a friendly, a familial connection with God on the knowledge that we have our, our affections ordered rightly toward God, toward our families, towards uh, image bearers of God, towards the people of Christ. But we also have a responsibility and authority uh, in terms of our, our physical body. And many Christians have adopted an almost Gnostic view that the spiritual stuff, the church stuff is what matters. And it's the, like the spiritual sins, whether it's the lust or the greed or the covetousness, mm-hmm. the, the hatred or bitterness, the gossip, those, those kind of things are what need to be addressed. But if there's like physical sins of the body, uh, of like gluttony, gluttony or, uh, or know, not even just gluttony. I mean, you could just eat, tra- eat crappy food, weird sins of control or lack of self-restraint overwork of, of sloth. Not resting and not having any exercise or yeah or workaholism, in in stressing out your body like all those things, the we're we're not a body and a soul sort of separated but we're a body and a soul connected right inextricably where like what affects the mind and and the soul affects the physical body and vice versa yeah so the the divide between oh this is this is sacred. And this is secular right. is a false it's a false framing of reality. Yep. And the idea that you can be educated without the acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ feeds into a mis- a fundamental misunderstanding of who we are as image bearers of God, body, soul, knit together. Right. So where Asher is right now is at a classical Christian school hybrid program three days there and then two days at home and it's exactly what you're saying we are trying and I teach there too we're trying to do the best we can with students to teach them that everything we do is as a Christian Mm -hmm. we read as a Christian we take notes as a Christian we sing as a Christian we clap as a Christian like everything we do is as a Christian and there really isn't a divide between those two things so um, when I wait for my teacher to come into the classroom, I wait because I respect those that are in authority because I'm a Christian. Um, when my teacher says that we're going to do a catechism, I use my full voice and I answer the questions as they've asked me to because I'm a Christian. When I read my textbook and I understand the way the atom is constructed, I know how it's constructed as a Christian, like legitimately everything we do, uh, the way we move, the way we breathe, the way we eat, the way uh, everything we do is as a Christian. And so if we're really trying to form a culture, which I think is probably a bigger discussion of how the church has capitulated on that and just adopted what the world has or and put a stamp on it. Taken, yeah, we've taken things and done a crummier version of it. Yeah, that's why you have crap. That's I mean, that's why you have crappy Christian media, and people are like, "Oh, don't be mad about Christian media, like that being that good." No, a lot of it sucks. I mean, it's it, it is bad because that you hear this from artists, from musical artists all the time, that like left the Christian sphere and made it big. The only reason they were in Christian music, like did Christian music, is because it was easier to get into, because there was a lower bar of entry, mm-hmm. lower, lower barrier of entry. It's like, well. I got in there, which we'll talk about Christian radio another time. <laughs> but all that to say, this is our first kind of pitch to people to re- to think about where, how are you educating your kids? 
where you're sending your kids is where you're is the place that you're sending your kids also reinforcing what you're saying at home? Yeah. Is it teaching them how to love the Lord with their mind? Is it teaching them that every square inch of this world belongs to Christ? Or is it teaching them that this part belongs to Christ, but this part doesn't? Yeah. And to remain a perpetual alien that just says, well, it belongs to Satan and he's taking it over anyway, so we might as well just like befriend people on our way out, you know? Um, so... Yeah, so then I'll, I'll add a few other things that I've heard. and I, I think you covered probably the, the two most significant um, thoughts and like why it's, why it's okay or why I should send them there. Um, another is not, so, not just so that the kids can be missionaries, but so that the parents involved in their kids' life and their kids' friends and stuff will have it's not just the kids as missionaries, it's the parents too. And it's the parents connection. Yeah. Father's connection with the school, with other parents, with PTA and things like that. And it provides, that provides like a really great way for mature Christian parents to build relationships outside of their faith sphere, Mm -hmm. to have people over into their home. Uh, But the question you have to ask yourself is if, if you, one of your reasoning why it's okay for you to, uh, be in the government schools like that. Well, number one, could you volunteer without having your kids there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably could. Um, and then number two, if you are going to send your kids and, and you're, are you really doing that? Yeah. And then parents saying, the, and oh, there well, are parents that do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Par- parents saying, well, I can counteract the bad worldview stuff that's going on in these bad worldview stuff. That's, that's eloquent. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> it's late. Yeah, it is. The I can I can counteract that through our family worship, through my time, you know, one on, you know, I, I spend time one on one with all my kids on a regular basis. I'm in their lives knowing what's going on, so's their mom. And like we got this under control. It's like, well, maybe you do, but maybe you don't. And a lot of times it's hard to know because the the infection of all these little worldview things and get, putting chinks in the armor, it, it may not show up for a long time. I don't even think there's an armor. You can't build a foundation. Yeah. Do, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're building you're pieces and then you're sending them somewhere that is building a completely different foundation mm-hmm. or at least a foundation that's not reinforcing in the slightest what you are yeah. saying. Another Another thing would be like, well, we can't afford it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and so, well, like there's obviously homeschool is an option and that's very low cost unless... Except the parent can't then be at work. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. and so that becomes a really big barrier to some families. And that, I think, is a question that you you got to take it to your elders at church, like... It hey, was I'm a, starting to develop these convictions about how I'm, you know, these these three or four kids that we have, we, you know, my wife and I both work. Uh, we have these convictions. We, like, number one, are there elders, the elders or trusted people at your church who can sit down and help you look through your budget and, and the money that's coming in? Right. You know, maybe you can move some things around and find it. Almost, probably almost, probably every private school has some level of scholarship and um, or, or discounts or things like that. And it, there's just zero shame in availing yourself to that. And then sometimes it's a matter of like, hey, man, you need to go out and make more money. 
mm-hmm. your your career has stalled or you know you don't have ambition or or you have to make some serious sacrifices mm-hmm. because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul or to lose his children right you know to to gain a healthy 401k but to lose your children yeah and this this isn't to say that there's a guarantee right you put your kids in the right thing and there's a lot more to think through about this this is just a preliminary hey have you actually thought about how we're educating and what that's saying to our kids and to the world that they can have them you know what I mean like we trust you with them very few people would actually drop their kid off at a babysitter that they did they didn't know but they'll They'll drop them off out of school. Yeah. They don't know. And you we know? Didn't even talk about, you know, there's obviously a huge scandal with the Catholic Church about child sex abuse. Uh-huh. There's scandals in the Southern Baptist Church, the Church Two thing about yeah. abuse, uh, women and children in there. The, I mean, the there hasn't been a major news story about sexual abuse with the. Well, it's covered up. I mean, Virginia. We already well, know what's going on yeah. in Loudoun County. I mean. Some of us know what's going on in places like Loudoun County. But, but I'm talking there's like, a cat. Do you know there's a there's a student who says they're a cat in Oconee schools? There's a cat kid. At whatever you trans species, I don't know what you call it, but they're allowed to purr and jump on stuff in in the classroom. I did not know that. Yeah, because why would you publicize it? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like why would why would Some of the why best, would the news stations publicize it? The best schools in the state. I know, it's a bummer. They got a cat kid. Now, I feel for the kid, you know, obviously, and whatever happened. No one loves the child enough to tell him no. Right, exactly. Stop it. And So, all that to say, um, this is just our initial pitch. This is not supposed to be condemnation. This isn't supposed to be that we have it figured out and all you people out there don't. This is definitely not because it's only by God's mercy and His grace that we are where we are, that... Um, we have this conviction and that we're following through with the conviction. So, and I don't want people to, to listen to this that have already put their kids through school and just have this deep, like, wow, I failed as a parent. You know, that's, you can only be faithful where you are now, not where you were 20 years ago. Like you have to start with the, with the information that you have right now. So this isn't to cause division. It's actually to create unity right? We want to be unified on this as a church. It's been too long that the church hasn't actually talked together about how we should educate our kids. I don't know if I've ever actually heard anyone speak in authority from a church that I've ever been to about how we educate our kids, how to properly do that, because I think it's just so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable for people to do that. So again, that we're going to have a second episode that talks specifically about classical Christian education, what that is, why we decided to do it. We don't die on the classical Christian education hill. We do almost kind of die on the every kid should have a Christian education hill, though. Yeah. Um, on the money part, I just wanted to reinforce something that you said or reiterate something you said. A lot of people, I actually read an article on Together for, no, the Gospel Coalition, from a prominent female writer that was talking about why she had decided that her kids would go to public school. And she used the phrase, we wouldn't be able to meet our, um, our family financial goals if we had chose private school. And I was like, oh, that'd be the worst reason you could ever give because the they are, are your goal. Yeah. They are your goal, number one. Number two, they are your inheritance. 
Number three, they are your 401k. They are your retirement. They are, they, they, that is what that is for. You know, it's not for family vacations. Mm-hmm. I, I love family vacations. I want to go on some one day when our kids are older, but that's not what it's for. I thought if you're going to spend money on anything, I mean, literally anything, wouldn't it be to teach your kids how to think about the world properly? Wouldn't it be to teach your kids how to love better the Lord than, properly? Disney World. Like I want, I want my kids to leave Christian education, not with their heads full of information. That's not the point, right? I don't want them to know all the capitals of the countries and impress everybody by their, their knowledge. Not the point. I want them to have virtue, character, and wisdom. I want them to learning and a love for learning. Yes. Virtue, character, and wisdom, a love for learning to know how to identify and to embrace and learn the good, the true, and the beautiful. They know it's good and true and beautiful. And when they go out, they graduate, they hear these arguments, these lofty arguments against Christ, and they're like, and in their mind, they're like, tear them down. That's I'm simple. That's child's play. You know what I mean? They're not cocky about it, but they're like, God, you've already instructed me in this. Like, that's not even a thing. That's not a barrier to me because it's torn down. They have been taught how to tear down every lofty argument. And so the world is afraid of them. Like we, sometimes we're saying, what are you afraid of by sending your kid out into the world? No, I'm, I don't want to be afraid of what the world's going to do to them. I'm a, like, I'm kind of afraid for them after my kids raised properly. Like they should be afraid because he is going to be a force. He's going to be the person that gets in a, in a, a rich but loving debate with someone like where they're really going after each other's worldview. And then he invites him to dinner after to his house and his wife makes this like wonderful meal and they share great conversations and they laugh and they enjoy each other's company. Like a guy who, who hits hard, like he knows where to hit hard, how to hit hard, how to think properly. And he embraces people into his home and feeds them good food and gives them good drink. And that's the kind of person I want. I'm not looking for the brainiac. I'm not looking. It's great if they, if they are, but if they're an egotistical brainiac, then I've, I've lost. Yeah, I failed. All right. That's our pitch. You have any last yeah, thing like to say? I'd like to close with a quote from a public school teacher in oh, no. Baker, <laughs> conservative uh, bastion of California, Bakersfield, which, like legitimately. Yeah. It is a conservative stronghold in California. But this is a, a blue here, a blue haired, I think high school teacher. Um, so this is a quote from her in a, a New York Times article. This woman is named Olivia Garrison. She says, "My job, which is a public service, is to protect kids." So, said Olivia Garrison, a history teacher in Bakersfield, California, who is non-binary and who has helped students socially transition to you know another gender at school without their parents knowledge quote sometimes they need protection from their own parents mm-hmm. i'm not saying my kid there <laughs> that's not happening everywhere yeah. but it is happening I almost was like we should just end the episode on sometimes they need protection from their own parents yeah Okay, is that it? Anything else? All right, let's say bye.